Well, we're in the second week of the series, the spiritual warfare series that we've titled War of the Worlds. And Pastor Dan was here last week to remind us and maybe to enlighten us maybe for the first time that there is this battle going on that has been going on since the beginning of time. This spiritual battle that happens and it continues to happen and it's going on in the heavens that we don't see, but it goes on in our lives each and every day. And we see the effects of it. But there's a battle going on, and there's an enemy, and his name is Satan. And I know that's a name in our culture that's kind of like, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. And maybe we don't really believe he's real. But Scripture's very clear that he's real. It talks about him as a real being with a real agenda. And his agenda is to take as many of us with him as possible. Scripture tells us that he stands defeated. Dan told us last week he's going down. He stands defeated. But in the meantime, he wants to take as many people with him as possible. And so this morning, we want to look at Satan. We want to look at what he does and how he accomplishes that mission. And we're going to do that by looking at two different stories. One is in Genesis chapter 3. It's the fall. It's Adam and Eve being tempted in the garden. And the second one is in Matthew chapter 4. And you can also find it in Luke chapter 4. But we're going to be looking at Matthew's account this morning where Jesus himself was tempted by Satan. And so we see in both of these accounts that he's real. And his temptations, the way he operates, can have an effect and have a lasting effect, as we've seen in the garden. And so this morning, we want to look at his tactics. And they're subtle. Some not so subtle, but sometimes very subtle. So we've titled this Tactics 101. And in looking at his tactics, what we want to understand is we want to understand the enemy because we believe it's important that we know our enemy, we know our adversary. We want to know how he operates, who he is. Secondly, we want to understand his tactics. How is it that he tries to defeat us? Understanding his tactics are important because we are in a battle. And thirdly, we want to understand what's our plan. If we're in this battle and we have this enemy, what is our plan? And so we're actually going to be spending two weeks on this, this week and next week, looking at next week more of how do we use the weapons that we have. But this morning we want to focus on knowing our enemy, his tactics, and our plan. Our enemy is Satan. Scripture is very clear about that. He is the enemy. And it describes him in several ways. It calls him a tempter and deceiver. But the one thing we have to understand is that the importance of is knowing our enemy. You know, it's described, the benefit of that is described in one of the oldest books on military strategy and tactics. It's from the 4th century. It's called called The Art of War by Sun Tzu. It's a Chinese book that looks at military tactics and has been used for over 2,400 years. And this is what he says. If you know your enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not your enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. Truth, right? Don't you see truth in that? And so we want to take a page out of this book because there's wisdom here. We need to know our enemy. This book, there's wisdom here. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 that all of these things that were written were written for our benefit. 
all of the things that happened to the children of Israel that are recorded in this book are so we don't make the same mistakes, so that we can learn from their mistakes. We can learn who their adversary is. It's the same adversary that we face today. So we want to take a page out of these books and say, there's wisdom and there's a, there's a benefit for us to know who our enemy is. And this book tells us that Satan is a deceiver. Not just a deceiver of a few people, but the entire world. He has deceived the entire world. That's his mission. He stands defeated. He's going down, but he's going to take as many as he can with him. It also describes him as a tempter. In our text this morning, we'll see in Matthew, that's exactly how he's described when he comes to Jesus, is the tempter. That's how he approaches, as a deceiver and as a tempter. Those are his weapons, lies. And so those are his tactics, deception and temptation. He's a deceiver. That's his weapon. He seeks to deceive us. He doesn't come at us straight on. He conceals his true motivation. You know, we see this also quoted in Sun Tzu's Art of War. He says, all warfare is based on deception. Therefore, when capable, feign incapacity. When active, inactivity. When near, make it appear that you are far away. When far away, that you are near. Offer the enemy a bait to lure him. Feign disorder and strike him. Pretend inferiority and encourage his arrogance. Keep him under strain and wear him down. When he is united, divide him. Attack him where he is unprepared. Rush out when he doesn't expect you. That's Satan. That's what he does. He deceives us. He tries to keep us away from understanding his true motivation, his true target. We know that. But oftentimes we're just unaware, uninformed. You know, we understand this as a country. We've used it throughout the history of the United States in deception. And one of the biggest deceptions that this country pulled off was in World War II. It was concealing the true identity of where we were going to invade Europe, where we were going to invade France. D-Day, we invaded Normandy, but we didn't want Hitler and his armies to know because it would have been disastrous. So we concealed that fact by making a major deception. They mobilized across from Calais, which is only about 30 miles from the British shore, the shortest distance. They mobilized hundreds and thousands of tanks and trucks and troops on that shore. And in fact, they concealed it by camouflaging them poorly so that there was at least an attempt because they didn't want to make it seem like they were trying to be deceived. They were trying to deceive the Germans. And it worked because Hitler was convinced that that's where the U.S. was going to invade. And so they were unprepared for Normandy. And here's the key. They did it with inflatable tanks and inflatable trucks. It was a complete deception. And the army was called the Ghost Army, and it continued to operate for weeks, marching around with sound on the other shore, trying to confuse where the, where the invasion was coming. And it was successful. They deceived the Germans. They concealed their true place of invasion. And that's what Satan does. He tempts us with offers of things to conceal the fact that what he's really after is our heart, our allegiance. That's what he's truly after. He's after our heart. And we need to understand that. All of his temptations, all of his deceptions are designed to strike at our hearts. 
The next thing we see is that he's a tempter. That's exactly how he gets us. He entices us. He puts things out in front of us. You heard Sun Tzu say it's like bait. You know, the, fish, the fishermen among us know that you show the bait, but hide the hook. Right? That's exactly what Satan does. He tempts us. And he tempts us well because he knows us. In his book, The Fight, John White describes it this way. He says, have you ever fooled around with a piano? Open the top, press the loud pedal, then sing a note into the piano as loudly as you can. Then stop and listen. You will hear at least one chord, one string, vibrating in response to the note you sang. You sing, and the string in the piano picks up your voice and plays it back. Here, then, is a picture of temptation. Satan calls, and you vibrate. See, the enemy knows you. He doesn't just know his plan. He knows you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows each one of our weaknesses and the string at which to vibrate. That's what we need to know about our adversary. He knows us very well. We need not overestimate his abilities, but we need not underestimate his capabilities. And his motivation is to steal our hearts. Now, I want to make one side note here, because I've heard this numerous times from people, is that when you're tempted, I've heard people say, well, God is testing me. He's, he's, he's testing me. He's the one that's doing this, and he's, he's doing it to strengthen me. It's for my benefit. And I want to say, that's a lie. James tells us, the brother of Jesus tells us, that let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. When you're being tempted, it is not God that's doing it, and it is not for your benefit. When you are being tempted, it is always Satan that is tempting you, and it is never, ever for your benefit. And to understand that more, I want to look at these two stories that I talked about earlier in Genesis and in Matthew. Because we see the same tempter, we see the same enemy in both stories. And so we want to look at his tactics. We see in both stories that he appeals to the appetites of both. Both Adam and Eve and Jesus, he appeals to their appetites. Here's what he says in, in Genesis now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? And then he says to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. See, Jesus had just spent 40 days in the desert. 40 days fasting. And it said when he came out of the desert, he was hungry. And so what's the first thing Satan tempts him with? Food. And says, turn these stones to bread. You can feed yourself. He says to Eve, you can eat this. Look at this tree. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree? What does he do? He doesn't emphasize the positive that says, God said that you can eat of any tree except this one. But he emphasizes the negative. You really can't eat of any tree? We see this happening over and over again in our culture. We see it happening with us. He appeals to our appetites. He appeals to our physical appetites, food, drink, sex. He appeals to those. He knows our weaknesses. 
It's just food. It's just drink. It's just sex. It doesn't matter. They're good. All things are permissible, right? All things are permissible. You've been set free. You can do it. You can say no at any time. All of these things are good for you. You'll see that. Just try it. He also appeals to our emotional appetites. The need for approval. The need for acclaim. The need for celebrity. Like, you know what? You do that. Take this shortcut. Go this way. People are going to admire you for that. It's called shrewd. You can do that. That's, that's fine because it'll be for your benefit. It's okay. All things in moderation, right? All things in moderation. It's okay. You have to understand the enemy will always prey upon your appetites. And he knows you, so he knows exactly what your appetites are. Where is it that you've bought into the lie that it's just sex? It's just a computer. It's just... You know, just a screen. It's just, it's just one beer. It's just food. It's my job. I'm here to provide for my family, and, and I'll do that by whatever means necessary. Where is it you fall and pray to Satan's temptation? Next. In, the, in these two stories, we see his next tactic, and that is the promise of no harm. He says to Eve, certainly you will not die. She says to him, we're not supposed to eat of it, we're not even supposed to touch it, because when we do, we will die. And he says, well, certainly you're not going to die. That's foolishness. And he says to, to Jesus, he says, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Throw yourself off this temple. You're not going to hurt yourself. He presents the promise of no harm. Yeah, it's just sex. Don't worry about it. It's not going to hurt you. Actually, it'll be good for you. Don't worry about it. It's good for you to have multiple partners before marriage. That way you can practice up and you're ready for when you get married. Don't worry about it. It's good for you. But see, in quoting Psalm 91 here to Jesus, he betrays his true motivation. Psalm 91, 11 and 12, that's what he's quoting. But if you read on to verse 13, he betrays himself. Because in verse 13, he says, it says, you, speaking of the Messiah, will tread on the cobra, will trample the, the serpent. See, he knows the curse that was placed on him in the garden after Eve and Adam fell. Her offspring would crush his head. And here he is saying, if you do all this, it's for your benefit. But really, he's betraying his true motivation because it's for his benefit. Because if Jesus will give in, then he won't be the one to defeat him. He betrays himself. It's always for his gain. It is never for our gain. There will always be harm to us of one form or another when we fall prey to his schemes. Next, we see in both of these stories his appeal to power. He says to Eve, you know, what happens when you eat this is that you'll be like God. You'll be like God. That's what God is really trying to keep from you. He's trying to keep from you 
power, and true glory. He says the same thing to Jesus. He says, if you bow down and worship me, all of these things that you see here will be given to you. All of these things. He knows who he's talking to. He knows exactly who Jesus is. But it doesn't stop him. It doesn't stop him from promising something that he can't give. But it doesn't stop him. Why? Because he's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's going to tell you whatever he can to get you to follow him. Whatever you can. And what we see as a result is that Eve bought into the lie. It says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. What do we see in this, in this verse? She saw that the food that was good for food, she bought into the idea that it was good, that it was for her appetite. It quenched her appetite. And that it was a delight to the eyes. That there was a benefit there. There was no harm. It was a delight. And then it would make her wise. There's the promise for glory. There's the promise for power. She bought into each one of the temptations. Each one of the lies. And as a result, everything changed. Everything changed. Because she wasn't paying attention. She wasn't paying attention. We see in Matthew's account that when Jesus speaks to Satan, Satan departs from him. But Luke tells us something a little bit different. It says that when Jesus told him to leave, that he departed to return at a more opportune time. You see, if Satan is relentless with Jesus in pursuing him, do you not think he's going to be relentless with us? Do you not think he's going to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying to deceive us and send us astray? John White in his book said that if you're a Christian, you can expect trouble from him. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you can expect him to continue to battle you. So we must understand we're in a war and we have an enemy, but we need to understand his tactics and what he's like so that we can devise our battle plan. Because we are in a battle. So we must know how to battle him. And to do that, I think we need to look but only at Jesus. Because he's truly our example. You know, we look at Satan and say, wow, what a warrior he is. Right? But Jesus is the ultimate warrior. He's the one that defeated the enemy that no one else could defeat. He defeated death. No man has ever been able to defeat death except Jesus. And he did that for all of us, so that we wouldn't have to suffer the second death. Jesus is the ultimate warrior. At his weakest, he was his strongest. Why? Because he relied upon the strength of his Father and the Holy Spirit. We see that in his responses to Satan. When tempted three times, Jesus quotes the truth. He quotes the truth in every example. That's our model. It's the truth. Truth will always defeat a lie. And that's exactly what Jesus quotes. And you'll notice in each one of these accounts, what Jesus does is he gives glory and honor to God the Father. He doesn't claim it for himself. He says, 
God is, alone is, provides food. His word is food. God alone is Lord. God alone shall be worshipped and served. He doesn't put his glory above the Father's. He relies upon the strength of the Father. The truth the Father has taught him. And the strength of the Spirit. He doesn't do it alone. You know, so often we fail because we try to go it alone in our own personal strength. We don't tell anybody what's going on in our lives. We don't tell anybody about the temptations that we're facing because I can handle this. I can get a handle on this. I can do this. And we continually battle and we continually fail because we're fighting a spiritual battle with physical means. When we need to be fighting a spiritual battle with spiritual weapons. And that begins by acknowledging that it's a spiritual war that we're fighting. And that, but we're not alone. See, we read in Scripture that the demons were terrified of Jesus. That same God lives in us. The same God that lives in you terrifies the demons, terrifies the one that tries to tempt you. But he doesn't want you to know that about him. That's where your true strength lies. It's in Jesus. It's in crying out to him before the temptation, in the midst of the temptation, and saying, I can't do this. I need your help. I need your help. And oftentimes, he'll direct us to those in the church, people that can walk alongside of us, where we can say, I need your help. I keep succumbing to this. I think I can overcome this, but I can't. I've tried. Paul says when we're weak, he is strong. Exactly what Jesus is saying to Satan. You might see me as weak, but I am strong because I am not alone. That's why James, his brother, tells us to resist the devil and he will flee from you. You resist him with the truth. You speak the truth back to Satan, back to the temptation. Yeah, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. All things I can do, but not all things are good for me. That's the truth. That's how we combat the lie, is with the truth of God. And Paul says to Timothy, so flee your youthful passions. Flee your youthful ignorance. You think you can do this on your own. You think you're powerful enough. You keep fighting the wrong battle. Pursue Jesus, pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love and peace. Jesus didn't fight Satan with physical strength. He fought him with spiritual strength. Jesus himself went to the cross. Satan didn't put him there. He put himself on the cross for each of us. He is our role model. Not only that, Paul tells us this, that when we're tempted that the temptations that we will be faced with will be the temptations that all men have been faced with. Because what? guess what? It's the same enemy. He has the same tactics in the garden that he used with Jesus, and he's using the same tactics today. Same enemy, same tactics. But he says, God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God is is limiting the power of the temptation so that you have a choice. You're not overwhelmed by the temptation. You can resist it.
But not only can you resist it, he says, he will provide you a way out. The spirit that lives in you will guide you in a different direction. Will show you the way out. So it's when we fall to our knees and we admit that we can't do this and cry out, I need a way out, that he will remind us and often bring us someone that can help us. Jesus is that person. His body is meant for us. The writer of Hebrews says, for we don't have a high priest that wasn't tempted in every way, but we have a high priest who was tempted in every way, just like us, but he did not sin. Because of this, we can approach the throne of grace. We can go to him and admit where we fall. Admit to him where we've fallen prey to the temptations of, of Satan, where we've been deceived. We can go to him with confidence, knowing that there's grace and there's mercy, not condemnation. That's the lie that Satan wants you to believe. You can't go there because you're just going to feel worse about it. You can't admit your sin because you're just going to feel worse about it. And that's the, that's the lie. It's when you confess your sin, when you go to Jesus and admit we're told that we receive mercy, we receive grace, not condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We bought into a lie that we can't trust him with our sin. He knows exactly how you're being tempted. David says, where can I go that you do not see me? Where can you hide? What can you do that he does not know? So who are we fooling? Only ourselves. And that's exactly what Satan wants. Because eventually what he wants you to do is turn your back on God. To change allegiances, change teams. God has provided a way for us. His son. That's the truth. That he came and he died for each one of you. Not because you're good. Not because... You did something to earn his grace. No, he did so because you couldn't earn the grace. You couldn't defeat death. Only he could. I want to end by inviting you to come back next week. Pastor Mark's going to be here, and he's going to talk about how we use the entire armor of God, how we pick it up and use it and battle Satan, how we truly put fear into the eyes of the enemy. And I want to encourage you, to stop believing in the lie that's so prevalent in our culture today that coming here every Sunday is not necessary, is not beneficial. That I don't need this. That's a lie. We're told we're not to give up the habit of meeting regularly together. We're to, to grow. We're to encourage one another with the truth so that we don't forget the truth, so that we can combat the lie because we are in a battle. And there's no Switzerland in this battle. You're either on one side or you're on the other. So I want to encourage you, come back next week. Come back as we learn how to use the armor, how we learn to use the armor to fight this battle because people every day are dying apart from this knowledge. I pray you come back next week and join us each and every week. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you for spending some time in God's Word with us during this message. It was recorded live in worship at Trinity Church in Lyle, Illinois where God is leading us on our mission to look, live, and love more like Jesus. 
Would you like to know more about a relationship with Christ? Or more about Trinity, who we are, what we believe, and where and when you might join us in worship or a growth group? Please visit our website at tlc4u.org. That's the letters T, L, C, the number four, and the letter U.org. May God bless you and yours abundantly through Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening.